Father, thank you that we can gather this evening and give appropriate honor to your son. We give you praise that Christ was born. And thank you, Lord, as the last song just proclaimed, that you called not just the faithful, but the unfaithful. This is good news for all of us. And we are so grateful. Pray for your spirit to be at work now through the rest of this time as we get to hear from your word. May you speak, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Grab your seats. You good? Okay. Yep. Well, open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If I didn't meet you on the way in, my name is Ken DeLage serve as the lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us this precious evening service, this time we get to celebrate Christ together. Um, praise God we get to do this together. Well, Elizabeth was about six months pregnant. She was the mother of the one who would be called John the Baptist, and she knew that God was at work. She didn't know the whole story, but she knew that God was at work. She knew that God would be at work through her son and that he would play a, a big role in the purposes of God. She was at home, and she wasn't expecting visitors. The Scripture tells us of Mary's visit. The Scripture actually tells us that Mary forgot to text in advance that she was coming. And so Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was on her way. A couple days journey, she makes her way over to Elizabeth's house. I don't know what Elizabeth was doing. Some, some kind of work, perhaps, in the home. And Mary walks right in and says hello. And as Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the, the baby in Elizabeth's stomach leaps for joy. The, the infant John the Baptist leaps. This is amazing. Because the infant in his mother's tummy hears the voice of the mother of the Lord giving greeting. And he, he leaps for joy. And Elizabeth turns and, and sees Mary and says, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you among women, she said. That word, Bible-sounding word, blessed, it means to have favor with God. It, it means to have been given those things by God Sufficient to make us fully, richly happy. So with that in mind, we could say, she's happy are you among women. Because God has, has given you such gifts that would make one happy. Blessed are you among women. This evening we're going to consider that statement, that declaration that Elizabeth made of Mary. 
Blessed are you among women. We're going to consider then blessed Mary and how the, the blessing that was hers redounds to each of us here as well. So to do that, I want to consider Mary's response to Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, on turning, sees Mary, says, Blessed are you among women. Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And then Mary replies with just this beautiful prayer of worship unto God. We actually have had it read already once this evening in between the songs that we were doing, but I want to read it again. So that's why we're in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 46 if you want to, if you have enough light to follow along, you certainly can as I read from God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see your word, that we would be transformed by it. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to consider Mary, blessed Mary, tonight under just two headings. The first, Mary as person. Mary as person. In other words, just the person of Mary. We just read her response. It's probably titled in your Bible, the Magnificat. One of the few Latin words I know. The Magnificat. My Latin is so good I can tell you what it means. It's taken from her prayer, of course, where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So it's named magnify in Latin. She says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is there happy. She is worshiping God in joy. God has done amazing things for her, and her heart is just overflowing. For her soul to magnify the Lord, it is as though God, who perhaps once seemed small to her, now appears glorious in her sight. She magnifies Him, and she worships Him. And as happens when you worship the Lord, it brings with it rejoicing. And her spirit is rejoicing. I'm happy in God, she declares to Elizabeth. And verse 48 tells us why she's happy it's God, in, in God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for... 
In other words, because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here we are, a generation long removed from Mary, calling her blessed, fulfilling the prophecy that she said. But she is worshiping God because, she is joyful because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was of humble estate. Those are kind of uh, difficult words, perhaps. She didn't have an impressive resume. She was from the backwater part of the country called Nazareth. It was kind of the Appalachia of the nation. They were rednecks or whatever, you know, kind of look down your nose term would be used. There's actually a derogatory saying that made it into the Bible in John chapter 1 about Nazareth where they would say to one another, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a, there's a known response to that question. No, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You know, Nazareth, right? And that's where she is from. Not only is she from the backwater of Israel, but Israel is the backwater of the empire. They're in the Roman Empire at the time, and, and of course Rome is the center of power and prestige and might and wealth, and Israel is so far from that conquered people. If Rome is the center of the solar system, the sun, then Israel's like Pluto. You know the sad story of Pluto? I mean, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, we learned that Pluto was a planet, but something happened, which I just disagree with, even though I don't know what, I just disagree. It should still be a planet. In fact, my space-loving son was given this t-shirt by the Whittemores. Pluto, never forget. 1930 to 2006. <laughs> Poor Pluto. The outer rim of the solar system. That's where she was from. Israel was nothing in the Roman Empire. Were it not for what was happening right here, we would not be discussing Israel in the Roman Empire. Then, of course, she was young in a world of adults, unmarried, in a, in a world where a, a, a woman's prestige came with her husband, and she's a woman in a male-dominated society in a male-dominated society that is itself dominated by Rome. She is of humble estate. If you were to line up all the citizens of the Roman Empire by prestige, <coughs> Mary would be quite near the back of that line of millions. And yet, despite this, she's praising God. Why? Why is she praising God? Because, she says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God paid attention to her when all mankind did not. She had the only attention that mattered. The Most High 
had looked upon her. In fact, verse 49, she goes on, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I want you to hear the words that she has in there for me. This is her personal praise unto God. God has done great things for me. It's not a, just a general praise of God does great things for people. No, God has done great things for me. This is personal for Mary. He's looked upon her and holy is his name. And, and Mary knows what God has done. Elizabeth had just, had just revealed something of what God had done, right? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary knew who it was who was already developing in her womb. She knew by the voice of Elizabeth, but she knew by the voice of the angelic messenger straight from God himself. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The one in her womb mattered. You know that? I don't know if you've heard that song, Mary, Did You Know? She knew. <laughs> Just letting you know. Mary knew. She was told. She listened. When the angel talked to her, Mary knew. She has Elizabeth's Lord in her womb. The one who's going to sit on David's throne. The one who's going to rule over Israel and whose kingdom will not just last a while, but will have no end whatsoever. So, yes, yes, part of this, and we're going to see it as we go along, Mary is rejoicing about what Jesus is going to do for others. Yes. But I'll tell you what, right here at the beginning, she is rejoicing over what God is doing for her. Because she does have this incredible role. That she is the mother of this one. This one she has in her womb even now. And in a way that perhaps only a woman could understand, she cherishes bringing this one into the world. And she is distinctly blessed because of it. This is the reason all generations will call her blessed in a particular way. And don't, mis don't mistake, it's not because of how great she is. It's because of how great the one she's carrying is. Mary is under no illusions that she's the champion of the story. She's the one, if we forgot already, of humble estate. And she's the one who magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Jesus, Mary needs a Savior. She's rejoicing that God is providing one for her. So, Mary as person. The personal praise that she's giving. But Mary, second, Mary as pattern. Mary as pattern. And what I mean is, Mary is uniquely blessed as a person, as this woman who is bearing Christ, but she's also part of the pattern by which God blesses his people. 
She fits that pattern and she sees herself that way. That's why even as she's giving personal praise to God, she's giving it in a way that invites us to praise as well. So, so when she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, she could have said, he's looked on my humble estate. But she, she backs away from it just enough to say the humble estate of his servant so that other servants might identify with what she's saying there. He does look on the humble estate of his servants. And she well knows it is not only she who is receiving the mercy of God through this baby come into the world. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Those who fear him from every time, in every place, in every culture. Every generation. From that day till this day till the last day. Every generation, but not every person. Because his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And Mary is the pattern, is part of that pattern of fearing the Lord, of giving this reverential awe unto God. You could see it back when, back when the angel came as a messenger from God and told her this had to be stunning news. She would bear a son as a virgin and that, that this would be Jesus. And she simply replies, be it done to me according to your word. That's the voice of the fear of the Lord. Humbling herself before God. I believe what you say, God, and I will trust you. It says his mercy is for those who, who fear him. From generation to generation. So, so then we have two groups that respond to Christ. We have those who fear him. And those who do not. We have those that are of the pattern of Mary then. Of humble estate. Before the Lord. And those who are not. Christ's coming then. Even in her song. Becomes a kind of continental divide. In world history. You know what a continental divide is. Right? Yeah. So the, the idea is you have these mountains. Right? And if, if a raindrop falls on this side of the mountain then it's going to kind of roll down into this stream and from this stream into this river and eventually after the river goes a long ways into this ocean over here. But if that raindrop had fallen just, you know, 10 feet over here, then it would roll down the other side of that mountain into this other stream and this other river and eventually find its way into a completely different ocean. It's the continental divide. Jesus is the continental divide of world history. His coming is great news for those who fear him and not so great for those who don't. Now, I, I don't know what you expect after Mary's declaration in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And I say, oh good, Mary, tell me more about his mercy. But she doesn't do that. She, she reveals the continental divide that is Christ. And she goes from mercy to he has shown strength with his arm. Now, 
This is God bearing his arm to oppose his enemy. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. God has bared his arm to, to scatter the proud. And then in verse 52, the continental divide continues. He's brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. And then it continues again in verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, as we read of this dividing line in human history, we don't think we don't want to think of this as though God is dividing people based on their position in this world. It's not as simple as that, as though he simply comes to bless the poor and put down the rich. That's not what it's saying. It's not the position of the man that God looks upon. It's the position of the heart that God looks upon. It's not the, the place of the woman. It's the place of her soul before God. That's where he looks. So then why are the rich picked on so badly in here? Why, why, why are the powerful being thrown off their thrones? Well, Jesus talks about this later on in, in his teachings in the, the New Testament. For the rich, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than it is for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That, is, that has always struck me as the most preposterous word picture ever. Biblical commentators try to do all kinds of things to say it's not really a camel really going through the eye of a needle. That's what it was. And it's ridiculous. It's really hard <laughs> for that to happen. And it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Why? It's not the riches. It's the heart's propensity to trust the riches. To exalt itself because of the riches and to turn away from God because of the riches. It's not the fact of being rich. It's the fact of trusting those things instead of God. The powerful often trust their power. The secure often look to their own security. The healthy trust their health. The popular trust their popularity. The wealthy trust their wealth. But the eyes of the Lord look for those who fear Him. Who is the one who fears the Lord? This is the one to whom the Lord looks in favor. Yes, Mary was from Appalachia on Pluto. You didn't know the Appalachian Mountains were on Pluto? They are. That's where she was from. But the station in her life indicated the station of heart that she held before the Lord. Looking to God to be her defender, to be her provider. Looking to Him for her, for her help and for her strength. This is what it is to fear the Lord. To see ourselves as small and Him as great. To see ourselves as sinful and Him as merciful. To see ourselves as needy and Him giving strength to those in need. In short, it's to see ourselves rightly and to see Him rightly. 
That's what it is to fear the Lord. And so, this evening, Christmas Eve, as we gather around God's word, the call and promise of God is simple. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is a call and this is a promise. It's both. But it is first a call. It is a calling to fear the Lord. And so, gathered church, fear him. Fear him. Let me speak. It says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So let me speak to the generation that is older than me. The generation that is my father's and mother's for a moment. The generation that has, so to speak, made it. You have achieved what you've achieved. You have gathered the wealth that you have gathered. And now it presses in, tempting you to trust something other than him. Fear the Lord. Trust not the attainments that you've attained. Trust the Lord. Trust not the wealth that you have gathered. Trust the Lord. When you approach the Lord, take off your dignity and approach Him as a child. We are never more than children before the ancient of days. Fear the Lord so long as He gives you breath. Fear Him. To my generation, my brothers and sisters, so busy Working so hard, seeking, if done rightly, for the sake of God, seeking to, to build something for your family, for your church, for your community, pouring out your life in, in, in labor and in hard work. Uh, brothers and sisters, in your labor, do not forget where your help comes from. It is not your labor in which you trust. And if the Lord gives you attainment, if the Lord gives you riches, don't let it tempt you from Him. Fear the Lord so long as you live. Whatever achievements He grants, receive those as gifts from the giver and honor the giver of all good things and fear the Lord. And I say to the next generation, generation of my sons and daughters. Fear the Lord. You fear the Lord. You personally, not riding the coattails of your family, is not this God your God? Then fear Him as your God. Serve Him as your God. Love Him as your God. Read this Bible so that you can know what He says to you. Read this Bible so that you can do what He says for you to do and live your life in the fear of the Lord. The world knows nothing of the fear of the Lord. Fear Him enough to not follow others into sin and to stand when He says stand. And fear Him in your youth 
that you may set the course of fearing him all the days of your life. Fear the Lord. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So to my fathers and mothers, fear the Lord. Brothers and sisters, let us fear the Lord. To my sons and daughters, fear the Lord. Perhaps there are some here who have never turned to Christ before. You have all that you need. Fear the Lord. Admit that He is God and you're not. Admit that He's perfect and you're a sinner. And ask for mercy. His mercy is for those who fear Him. So fear the Lord. Don't... don't. I can only imagine what it is to walk into church knowing you're going to hear a message and you harden your heart in advance. Harden not your heart to the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And church, you may have feared the Lord all the days of your life to this day, but so far as He gives us breath, let us continue to treat Him with reverence and honor that is due his name. So this is the calling, church, fear the Lord. And here's the promise. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is a very good word. This is a great promise. His mercy is not just for Mary. Blessed Mary. It's not just for her generation, the Bible generation, not just for the apostles, not just for the reformers, not just for your parents. His mercy is for all who fear him from every generation, at any time, in any place, in any generation. So, do you find yourself this evening of humble estate before the Lord in some way? Then guess what? His mercy's for you this evening. Are you aware of weakness and need? Are you aware of places where you are suffering and you need strength in order to face them? And I've got good news for you tonight. His mercy's for you. Look to Him. You come in aware of your sin, the shame that it brings, and the guilt that you carry, and the grace that only He can give. Oh, friend, good news. His mercy is for you. This is the promise of Christ. This is the promise of Christ spoken through the words of his mother that we could be blessed by them. His mother filled with the Holy Spirit. His mercy is for those who fear him. So, so look for it. So look for it. Expect it. Be, anticipate the mercy of God being poured out upon you. We're, we're aware of our weakness. How easy, how easy is it when we're aware of our weakness to kind of, I don't know, Eeyore it? <laughs> you had to be a certain age to laugh at that. I'm not pointing you out. <laughs> it's so easy when we are of humble estate 
when we're aware of our sin, when we're aware of our weakness, when we're aware of our failure, when we're aware of our need to just be down about it. And yet, His mercy is for such as these. Look for His mercy. He came so that He could give it. So let us hope in it. See, here's, here's, here's the result of this, right? And I think this is, again, Mary, the, the pattern for us. Her prayer is a happy prayer. Her, her, her soul is joyful before the Lord God. And that's where ours should be too. Because we are blessed by God as well. You know, Mary is uniquely blessed as the mother of Christ. And yet she will take her place among us as a sister in Christ. Who looks to the same Savior we look to. For the same mercy that we need. And so as we anticipate his mercy and receive his mercy, let that redound in praise unto God. That we could sing then with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen. Amen.